are looking uh, tonight at uh, the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verse 1 to 7. Can, is that up? Um, this is the last book of the Bible. It's the next to last chapter. And this is the Apostle John has given a glimpse, a picture of this new heaven, this new earth, this thing that we're talking about, this place where we're all headed. And here's what we read. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Those who conquer will inherit these things, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Amen. You may not know it, but uh, this fall we are starting a, a, a new RUF at the University of Hawaii. And like most RUF groups, it's, it's a gestation period, about two or three years, where we pray about it, we plan for it, and we've been planning for this one for a few years. Back in October, I got a phone call from the group of churches that were planning this and putting this together in Hawaii, and they called me and they said, uh, listen, uh, in February, we're having a service to begin to install the new RUF campus minister. We would like you and your wife to be our guest and come and preach at that service in Honolulu. I said, let me pray about it. Yeah, I think I would love to do that, actually. <laughs> That'd be great. So I was there, and they gave me this, this shirt as a gift, because if you've been there, that's like what everybody sort of wears. Bank, office workers, they all, they don't wear a coat until they wear this, and they want to make sure that I was properly attired uh, for preaching in this church in Honolulu. Um, Polynesian culture, uh, we, we lived in Australia. When we came back, we would often stop in Hawaii or New Zealand. I, I find Polynesian culture extremely fascinating, interesting. Um, and did you know that the oldest Pacific Island culture, the oldest Polynesian culture, not in Hawaii, it's actually the oldest is the indigenous New Zealanders, the Maori. Um, they're the ones that often have those really scary tattoos on their faces. They do the haka before the rugby matches. Uh, that's the oldest Polynesian culture. They have a very rich culture. They also have a very rich language. And they have a great word, a word which is kind of difficult to translate into English, but I'm going to have a go at it. The word is Tikanga, T-I-K-A-N-G-A. And Takanga, as best as I can convey or translate it, means this. It means the good thing that connects everything. 
It is, it is the thing, it is, it is not, it's identifiable. It's something that really connects in the best possible way everything else. A bit like um, the, the, the core of the matter, the nub of the matter, the essence of things. We are looking at this week the idea of glorification. That is what lie, where we're all headed, the end game of Christianity. What lies for us in the next world? And last night, my goal was simple, to get you to understand and to see that this is not an optional extra in the Christian life. The resurrection of Jesus, if it is true, and it is, means that we follow in that resurrection hope that this world to come is a real thing, that it is not only for this life that we have hope, but we have hope for the next, that that we'll see tomorrow night and the next night what an implication that is for us in this life. But tonight, the question is not, does it matter? The question is, okay, heaven, what, what, what is this? What is this? And my goal tonight is not to go into exhaustive detail, but rather to get to the Takanga. What, what is the core? What is the essence of this thing? What is it that really lies at the heart of this concept of glorification. Sometimes it's, it's, it's hard to describe the, the essence of things. Um, my favorite Jimmy Buffett song, all right, I'm dating myself there. Jimmy Buffett, anyone? Yeah. Parrot heads? Okay, there you go. <laughs> um, my favorite Jimmy Buffett song has this line. Please don't say manana if you don't mean it. Don't try to describe the ocean if you've never seen it. Now, today, as you're out there and you see the ocean, we're staying right on the beach, and we look out, and imagine trying to describe what that really is to you if you've only seen the picture. You couldn't do it. Impossible. And so, to get to the core of things is not always easy. My brother is an airline pilot. He flies for Southwest Airlines. He was a uh, naval aviator, not a pilot. He was an aviator, and now he flies for Southwest. And when he was in the Navy, in one of his ports of call, he bought a Harley-Davidson motorcycle in Saudi Arabia. Why he bought it in Saudi Arabia, I have no idea. He shipped it back, and for years, he was a real Harley head. He loved his Harley-Davidson motorcycles. He was part of that thing. If you ever met anyone who loves Harley-Davidson motorcycles, he loved his Harley. He would ride it all the time. He would go to these conventions, these, these gatherings of people that drove Harley-Davidson's. He was so into it. But he got married, had kids, and that, just, that went away. But for years, he was into his Harley-Davidson motorcycles. And when you would ask him, you'd go, Paul, what, what is it with um, the Harleys, man? Like, it's, I just, I'm not getting this. What, what, what is it about this? He would answer the same way most Harley-Davidson drivers would when you asked about what is, what is this thing that attracts you to this. He would say, if you have to ask, you wouldn't understand, which means he didn't know, right? Or he really had a hard time putting his finger on it. It was something he experienced, but he could not explain. I'm going to tell you tonight that the concept of what's across the river, what's in glory for us, 
there's a very real sense that a lot of that is incommunicable, but there's enough out there where I simply can't, well, I don't have to say to you, well, if you have to ask, you wouldn't understand. We don't have the full picture, but we have enough, and I hope tonight to, get, to convey to you enough to give you that tikanga, the essence of what it is that we call this place in glory or heaven. Before I do that, very quickly, we need to unpack a few things that I think most people, especially most Americans, have a hard time with when it comes to the concept of heaven, the afterlife, life and glory. This comes up time and time again when there are opinion polls about what we think about heaven. A recent ABC News Washington Post poll asked Americans if they still believed in heaven. 80% of Americans said they believed in some idea of heaven. But interestingly, of that number, 78%, including a majority of professing Christians, believed that heaven was simply a spiritual state, and it wasn't physical at all. 78% said, well, heaven is just this spiritual existence. 8% said it had a physical aspect to it, and the rest were disconfused, probably. They didn't know. But 78% believed and a majority of professing Christians believed that heaven was just this disembodied state. We just go to this place where we're sort of maybe happy, or this place where we just are, but it is not a physical place. Not too long ago, a woman named Maria Shriver, who was then married to Arnold Schwarzenegger, who was then the governor of California, believe it or not, she wrote a wildly popular children's book, called What's Heaven for Kids. And in this book, she writes this. Heaven is a beautiful place where you can sit on clouds and talk. If you're good throughout your life, you get to go there. And those two things kind of sum up the issue that many people have with the idea of what is this thing waiting for us, if anything at all, past the grave. It is this idea of it being this um, existence completely disconnected from the life you have now. If you think of popular depictions of what heaven is like, like St. Peter at the pearly gates, or angels playing harps on clouds, or this disembodied state, frankly, it doesn't seem all that particularly appealing. Like, really? Is that it? And... Because of that, we need to understand a few things before we get to that Takanga thing, about what the scriptures say briefly about the, the nature of glorification or heaven. The first lead-up point is this. Glorification, heaven, is the right-side-upping of upside-downness. Get that? <laughs> okay. Glorification is the right-side-upping of upside-downness. Jesus, we read in this passage, is making all things new. It means that he's restoring our experience to what it's supposed to be before sin ruined it. You get that? It is not this completely disconnected existence. It is actually what our existence should be. It is a restored order of things. In fact, C.S. Lewis calls the earth the shadowlands. That is, it is a reflection of what is going to go on perfectly 
in heaven. So we need to shed ourselves of these ideas of this of glorification of being in heaven as being this kind of weird, disembodied, ethereal place. No, not at all. Um, in verse 1, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven, the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. It is going to be like what we experience now, but in a fulfilled, perfectly realized way. I recently saw a, a documentary on Walt Disney. And uh, American Masters is this thing on PBS, and it was uh, about his life. And he was raised in the Midwest. His, his, child life was, his childhood was not particularly happy. He was obviously an extremely gifted artist in many ways, businessman. And he made these, these groundbreaking animated features. He started the successful movie franchise, this TV show. But then in the mid-50s, his, his company went public. He wasn't completely in control of the artistic end of his company, and he got really bored. He wanted something he could control. And so he thought, I know what I'll do. I'll go to Orange County, this is the early 1950s, and I'll buy hundreds and hundreds of acres of land, orange groves, and I will build a theme park. I will build an amusement park. And this was a new concept. I'm going to build this thing, I'm going to call Disneyland. And it showed him mapping it out. He goes, here is going to be Fantasyland. And here is going to be Frontierland. And this is going to be Tomorrowland. And he mapped out this world. And the whole point was, you can pay some money, and he can go to a world completely different. You could go to this world where it does not exist in your reality. You could get away from it all. And, of course, he got rich doing it. Heaven glorification is not like a cosmic amusement park. It's not like something where, hey, let's, God's saying, let's create something completely new and different. No, 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 no. It is, it is a restoration of the way things ought to be and should be. And it's going to be a physical place. You're going to have a new glorified body. Physical. A body which is not like the one you have now. Trust me, I understand more than most of you, not all of you, but most of you, how the body kind of winds down, kind of slows down. I was watching um, all of you, uh, all of you kids, I shouldn't say that, um, watching all of you on the beach today. We have this little perch, and I'm watching the tug of war, and I'm watching you guys play volleyball. I'm watching you sailing. And um, I was you in the early 80s. And I'm thinking to myself, I would keel over and die now if I did that. <laughs> I couldn't do that. But I remember doing that. The body slows and decays, but we're going to have a resurrected body. In Philippians chapter 3, it says this, the Lord Jesus will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. We have that resurrection hope that this will be a physical place. Resurrection hopes mean we long for this new body. What they will look like, I can't tell you. Don't know. But it won't be this disembodied, ethereal place. Secondly, that point is this. Heaven glorification is merited by Christ's work for us, not by what we've done. This is the big one. 
Okay, Maria Shriver, if you're good throughout your life, you get to go to heaven. That is probably the most enduring idea of the afterlife. Here's a ledger of your good things and your bad things. Well, the good things that way, there you go. God's like a cosmic Santa Claus. He knows when you've been naughty. He knows when you've been nice. And well, I'm going to reward those who are good. No, 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 no. We don't believe that, do we? No, no, no. In this very book of Revelation, where the Apostle John sees this picture of heaven in Revelation 7, he sees these glorious bodies in heaven. It says this, they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. You get that picture? They're in not because they were so good, but because of the merit of Jesus Christ. Go like this, right? Shake, go, please. Yes. Amen? Amen. All right. So there it is. It is not because you're so good. It's because of the work of Jesus that we talked about last night, our justification. The offer of the gospel is free, isn't it? In that near the last sentence of the whole Bible are, whosoever will may come and take the free offer of the gift, water of life. Jesus... Um, God desires, uh, he's not willing, 2 Peter, yeah, 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 chapter 3, he is not willing, he's not desiring for any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But those who will come are those whose eyes are opened, who see the beauty of Jesus and they come, and it's on the merit of Christ that we inherit this. Thirdly, that point, glorification, heaven is the end of all tears, Verse 4, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more for the first things that have passed away. The right side upping of upside downness means dealing with the sorrow of the world. Death. You know what the Bible calls death, among other things? It calls it the last enemy. The last enemy to be destroyed will be death. I have never, ever, no matter what the circumstances, have ever felt at the occasion of anyone's death that this is something to be happy about. Now, this puts me in the minority sometimes. Sometimes we say, oh, this person has suffered a lot. I get that. Or this person has lived a long life. I remember being in Australia at a, at a funeral for a young, young person. He was, he, was a, he was an elementary, I think about a middle school kid. And he died in incredibly, incredibly tragic circumstances. His whole school, his classmates were at the funeral. And the preacher came out, and everyone was crying and sobbing. And he stood up in front of the church. He said, young people, we are not here to be sad. We're here for a celebration. And I just moaned. Because in one sense, I get it. I get it. But it, these, all, these, all these young kids were like, what? Isn't this sad? Isn't this tragic? When the Apostle Paul says, you know, to be with Christ is, will be far better, he says that. I, 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 yes, that's true. We call enemy the death because it is a terrible thing. It separates us from people that we love. It, it, it often involves the decaying of the body. It's, it's, it, it's, just, it's not good. As a young pastor, I remember being at my first deathbed experience with somebody. Someone who was sick, and I was there to pray with them, they died in my presence. 
And it, the only word I could, I could find was, this is not right. This is wrong. I mean, he had young children. He, had a, he now had a grieving widow. This is wrong. The last enemy to be destroyed in right side up being this upside downness is death will be defeated. And the sadness and brokenness of this world that comes because of sin that we all experience, he will dry every tear from our eye. Our last laid up point, glorification is connected to this life, but it's one day, someday. That's a phrase a friend of mine from Memphis uses. Um, glorification in its fullness, in it, what it is, is not now, is one day, someday that we anticipate and long for. But the great mistake we make, and we'll see this tomorrow night, is when we try to create in this life what can only be delivered in the next. This is going to be a week of dated cultural references. I'm really sorry. It's a Jack Nicholson movie called As Good As It Gets. Anybody? Oh, okay. <laughs> Woo. Uh, $5 for the bookstore for you. Um, um, it's, there, it's about this guy who's just an ornery, crotchety man. And he, he is seeing a therapist. And he, without an appointment, he rushes into his psychiatrist's office without an appointment. And he sees in the waiting room all these people who are just broken, sad, miserable people. And he looks around and he says out loud, what if this is as good as it gets? What if I can't expect things to be any better? That's the kind of world we live in. And apart from this idea of the hope, the resurrection hope, yeah, that, yeah you, it, that's a good attitude. Read the book of Ecclesiastes. Yep, under the sun. <laughs> it's, pretty, it's pretty sad. It's pretty sad. But when we talk about heaven glorification, we anticipate it, but in its fullness, it is one day, someday. It is not now. Okay. So I'm going to spend a few minutes here on what really, I haven't really got to it yet. What is it that lies at the heart? What is the takanga, the good thing that connects everything about the idea of glorification or heaven? Look at verse 3 of chapter 21. You'll see it there. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them. The glory of heaven is not so much the absence of sorrow, but actually the presence of God. All right? If you're taking notes, write that down. <laughs> okay? The glory of heaven is not so much the absence of sorrow, but is really the presence of God. Now, if I were to say, let's bow our heads and pray, you're not dismissed, and I left it at that. Just leaving you with that, that it's, it's, it's not the absence of sorrow, it's the presence of God. If that's all I gave you, you would have every right to roll your eyes and go to me, oh, come on. That's just a slogan. That's like, keep calm and carry on. That's like, you know, uh, go team. 
<laughs> that's, that's something I can put on, you know, a precious moments figurine or I put on a, on a refrigerator door. That's like a motivational poster. But I'm not going to leave it at that. It's true, but I need to unpack it a little bit. The idea that heaven is not so much the absence of sorrow, but the presence of God is bound up, we see here, in the word home. Home? Home, see that? The home of God is among mortals. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. It is tied up in a longing that all of you have. Book of Ecclesiastes talks about he put um, eternity in the hearts of men. He hardwired all of us with this idea of who, who it's, it's obscured, it's broken by sin, that we have this idea lurking in us. And one of those is what C.S. Lewis calls, he uses a German word called sensucht. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. It's a German word which means an inconsolable longing for you know not what. And he, it's a major part of his explanation of the Christian life, that in each of us, we have this longing for things that we, we, call, it, we call it many things. We call it beauty. We call it the idea of perfection. And very often, we call it our memories or nostalgia. Have you ever wondered why you look back at your childhood? And most of you, not all of you, because for some of you, your childhoods were probably pretty brutal. But for many of you, you look back on your childhood and go, oh, those were the good days. <laughs> okay. those, were, those days were so innocent. They were so great. Let me, let me let you in on a little secret here. That gets worse as you get older. The older you get, the more you're tempted to look back and go, I, I remember sitting where you are when I was uh, you know, 22, 23, watching you guys do your thing on the beach and looking back when I was there, oh, those were the good old days. <laughs> it was so great. <laughs> Here's a fact. 20 years from now, you will remember yourselves being happier than you are right now. Do you get that? That's the way it is. We look back and we filter out, we look at the past with a soft focus. And we filter out the stuff we don't want to remember because we want to long for something. We want to have some, yeah, those were the good days. Things weren't complicated back then. Everything was sweet. No, not really. Not really. But why do we do that? We do that because we have this sin-soaked, this, this inconsolable longing for a home and for relationships that give us life. And that memory, that nostalgia, that's what we create. Oh, it was so great. It was um, Robert Frost who said, home is the place where when you have to go there, they have to take you in. In theory, yes, but in practice, no, it's not true, is it? In this life, not true. He, we say that and we want to believe that because we have that longing. There is a home for us. There is a place where we're always welcome. There's a place where we are accepted. The place where we are unconditionally loved. And the place where our relationships with each other bring us joy and not heartbreak. And that is the Takanga. That is the essence of glorification. 
We are at home with the Father, our Heavenly Father. We are at a place where our relationships with each other are not ones that bring us grief, but are united in our praise with Jesus. It is the place where those inconsolable longing is actually sated. Lewis writes this, what, he, what he's talking about this. I am trying to rip open the inconsolable secret in each of you. The secret also which pierces with such sweetness that when in very intimate conversation, the mention of it becomes imminent, we grow awkward. These things, the beauty, the memory of our own past, are good images of what we really desire. But if they are mistaken for the things itself, they turn to the dumb idols. In other words, if we start worshiping those memories, if we start saying that is really the ultimate or the concept of beauty, it will break our hearts. For they are not the thing itself. They are only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have never yet visited. So that is the essence. That is the thing that you long for. That is the promise of the gospel. That in this life, we do have many blessings. When Tammy Faye talked to her husband and said, you know, being a Christian is such a beautiful, exciting experience. I would be a Christian even if it wasn't true. Now, eh, wrong, not true. But she had a little bit right there. That is, the Christian experience is supposed to be one where at least in some measure, it is the shadowlands. It is in some measure where you see at least a shadowy realization of what we will find perfectly in heaven. Christian experience is supposed to be have those seasons checkered with joy and happiness and sweetness. But it is also checkered with, in normal Christian experience, heartbreak and sadness and sickness and even frustration. But what is our stay? Uh, Hebrews call, we have this hope as what? An anchor for the soul. We get through this because we know waiting for us is not just the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, or news from a country we have not yet visited, but as the fullness of the glory of heaven, where we are home, home at last. Amen. Let's pray together. We give thanks for your word, Lord, and ask now that as the Son of Man is lifted up, that we are drawn to him, uh, that we will be utterly convinced in this moment that the best is not behind us, but the best is yet to come. In Christ's name.